Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, everybody. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Robert, and I'm the campus pastor here at our Frisco East Campus. I want to give a shout-out and a big welcome to everybody who is joining us today, uh, whether you're at the Prosper Campus, the McKinney Campus, the Frisco West Campus, or you're joining us online at our online campus, or if you're at the best campus in the world here at Frisco East. Man, thank you guys so much for being with us. Our lead pastor, John McKenzie, is on a little bit of a vacation uh, this week. He will be back next weekend for you, but he wanted me to tell you a couple things. Number one, that he loves and misses you guys, but also that he wants me to invite you to something special going on here at Hope Fellowship. Uh, Once a year, we do this thing that we call Team Summit. It's, It's an event that we put together for all of our volunteers at Hope Fellowship, no matter where you volunteer, whether it's in the parking lot, or you're an usher, or a greeter, you work in kids' ministry, grow ministry, you work in production, you work in grow, wherever you happen to volunteer, we want you to come together with us to celebrate what God has done, to look forward to the next year that God is calling us to and to hear an incredible, uh, challenging message from Pastor John himself. Our team summit this year is gonna be August 7th, 5 p.m. here in this room. No matter what campus you're from, be here, sign up for that. You can sign up for it in our app or online, hopefellowship.net. Um, also now, love to jump in with you to our summer series. We've been in uh, this summer series now for uh, quite a few weeks It started with us talking for a couple weeks on how to study the Bible. Then we talked about Father's and Father's Day and what that looked like. And then we moved into talking about the book of Hebrews. And we have been working steadily through the entire book of Hebrews. We started week one with Jesus 101. And Pastor John, in this message, kind of set the stage for us and gave us the background information about the book of Hebrews. Uh, we told you that um, it, uh, it is written uh, 30, 40 years after Jesus was on earth, that we don't actually know who the writer is. We have several the- working theories on who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. But we do know that the writer is Hebrew himself, is an Israelite, and that he or she is writing to their people. To the Israelites, specifically they are writing to those Israelites, those Hebrews who have have said yes to Jesus, who have begun following him, and they have one simple purpose, and that is to, the writer is trying to get those people to hold on to their faith in Jesus. And so week one, the writer opens up with about four chapters of just kind of giving the basics of who Jesus is. Now much of this for us um, we, we know already, we, we understood um, growing up in church, if you grew up in church, none of that was probably radical information to you, but to the Israelites who heard it for the first time, man, that was a game changer. And then the, the part two of Hebrews, the writer actually kind of shifts gears a little bit and uh, tells us that we need to put our big boy pants on and talks about a case for maturity. They say that we need to be a little bit more mature in our understanding because the next thing that they're going to talk about is very deep, and it's something that we all need to grasp. And that actually took us to week three, part three. Um, We talked about Jesus, our high priest. And in fact, last week, all of our campus pastors at all of their uh, campuses got to talk about who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he has made for us and how all of us 
actually need a high priest. Well, this is the part of the book of Hebrews that actually kind of pivots and opens up and gets directly to that purpose of what the writer wanted to talk about. And that is today part four of Hebrews, and it's our faith in Jesus. Now, we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 11 in just a minute. It is the the most famous part of the book of Hebrews, the most quoted part of the book of Hebrews. But it talks about specifically our faith. Now today I'm going to do, I'm going to try my best to help us define simply this one question. What is faith? But you see, we have a problem when we start approaching this idea of faith. Our problem begins in that we don't all like have the same working definition of faith. In fact, if I were to ask you what faith is inside of this room, I'm sure that we have a couple hundred different answers. People online would give us a couple hundred different answers about it. Some of you would talk about it as faith is this, this thing that we can see Jesus by, or faith is this, this thing that we have so that God will do these things, or faith is part of uh, being a Christian, and if we have enough of it, we get this good life. Some of you would tell me like, like faith is like the immortal words of Bon Jovi, that faith is living on a prayer. Like We have all these different definitions of faith, but actually, the problem goes a little bit Deeper than that. Because most of us were taught, most of us grew up, most of us understand faith as the lens or the window by which we can see, know, understand, or access God. Like, like that's how most of us were raised. But if we don't have a clear definition of what faith is, then our understanding of God becomes obscured. But but our problems go even deeper than that. Because if our understanding of faith is messed up, if our definition of faith is broken, it makes the picture even less clear. We start bringing our experiences and our misunderstandings and our brokenness into this picture. Maybe some of you, for instance... Uh, grew up inside of the church and as a young kid you were taught about faith and what it meant and what it looked like but your parents who also claimed to be followers of Jesus didn't live that out and there was this disconnect of faith and it quickly jaded you or maybe some of you were taught that that you know faith is is I mean this force or this thing and if you have enough of it God will do whatever you ask, but you then prayed over something and it didn't happen. The illness wasn't healed. The marriage wasn't fixed. The, the whatever didn't happen. And all of a sudden, if this is the lens that I'm supposed to view God through, it's starting to get fuzzier and fuzzier and more obscure. Maybe you were taught that if, if you did the right things, like if you read the Bible enough and you prayed long enough and you fasted enough and you had enough prayer, then you were going to have this good and perfect and easy life. Like faith is somehow this formula. But all of a sudden it didn't, it didn't work out like that. Like life is still hard. And all of a sudden this lens or this window that we're supposed to be seeing God through or by or our way of understanding him, man, it's no longer clear. It's It's fuzzy. See, we bring 
all of these different things into this idea of faith, and yet it's such a vital part of what we would say is being a Christian. But what if I was to tell you that I think we are approaching the entire idea of faith incorrectly? Like the picture we have of it, our understanding that we have of it, isn't quite right. And I'm going to show you, and I'm going to show you how even the writer of the book of Hebrews here is trying to bring a little clarity to this idea of faith, to make it really simple, make it really easy. But I want you to stick with me because it has such a radical implication for you and for me. So we start back simply at that question I asked you a minute ago. What is faith? So I think in order for us to really understand this, we're going to start with actually what faith isn't. Sometimes it helps to clarify what something isn't when you're trying to define it. So <coughs> number one, sorry, I threw a mint in my mouth right before coming on stage. Bad idea. Now it's like halfway. Not a good thing. <coughs> faith is not a blind leap. Number one, faith is not a blind leap. Now, many of us grew up with this idea of faith, that it was like the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade type of deal. If you haven't seen the movie, he's, he's, he's trying to work this big puzzle out, and he's got this clue about, about taking the leap of faith, and he comes to this big chasm, and like you can't see the bottom, and there's no way across it, and what does he do? He sticks his leg out, and he takes this real big giant step, and all of a sudden, there's this ledge there that you couldn't see. Like, we were taught that this was what faith is. But what if I was to tell you that that's not the picture of faith in the Bible? Number two, what if I was to tell you that faith is not a force or a power, something I, I, I kind of talked about just a minute ago, like it's not a force or a power to get God to do something. See, faith is not the force and you are not a Jedi. Like, like this is what we call magic. It's not faith. Faith is also, number three, not a formula. Faith isn't part of a thing that we are supposed to quantify and supposed to do enough of or have enough of so that God will do a certain thing or so that we will get a certain outcome. The Bible doesn't talk about it like that. But I think the last one is also the most important. Number four, faith is not the reason we follow Jesus. Now, this is not how you and I were probably raised. This is not probably what we were told. Now, some of you are probably like, Robert, you're being a heretic right now, and we're going to run you out of here. But just, just hold on with me if you can. Because I firmly and truly believe that faith is not the reason that we follow Jesus. So the writer's going to bring some clarity to this by giving us a quick and easy working definition of faith. And so I want to walk us through that definition. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is probably also the single most quoted verse in Hebrew. And when I brought up faith, some of you in this room probably even thought of this specific verse. So let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The writer says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see. Okay, we're going to stop right here. So I'm going to admit to you that pastors for a very long time good, well-meaning pastors, we have actually complicated sometimes the issue, the idea, the definition of faith, even by using this verse. And sometimes especially by using this verse and telling you some things about faith that, that this verse doesn't even say. And so I literally what I'm going to do is we're going to just take this word by word and I'm going to show you here the quick and easy, hopefully, definition of faith 
but more than that, what it means for you and me. And so the writer actually here is defining faith by giving you two sentences that say the exact same thing. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Saying it two different ways, but saying the exact same thing. And it starts with us here in this idea of hope. And so in order to understand faith, I think we got to understand what hope is. So hope, the definition of hope, is wanting something to be with no guarantee. Wanting something to be with no guarantee. You hope to win the lottery. You hope you're going to get a raise. You hope to get a bonus. Some of you in this room might hope to one day be married. Some of you in this room might hope one day to go on a date with somebody that you saw walking in. Like, these are things that we hope for, that we want, that we desire, that, that inside of us like wants that to be, but there's no real guarantee that's going to happen. That's hope. So the writer would say that faith is when hoping for something moves to a confidence and an assurance of something. Well, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let me make it real easy for you. How will you know that you got the raise? It's easy. It's when your boss walks into your office or walks into your cubicle and goes, hey, you know what? You've had an amazing quarter. And that's the back end of good quarter after quarter after quarter. And so you know what's going to happen? When it comes time for raises in January, you're getting a raise. What do you do at that point? You call up the spouse. You don't say, I hope I'm getting a raise. You say, honey, I'm getting a raise. Why? Because you now have that thing that you hoped for. It has now, because of an assurance, because of a confidence, because of evidence, moved to a faith that you're going to get that thing. You might not even have the paycheck in your hand. Like January is still a lot of months away. But you have a faith that that's going to happen. How do you have a faith on the date that it's going to happen? It's not when you see her across the room and you're like, man, I hope to have a date. No, it's when you text her and she responds, sounds great, pick me up at 7.30, exclamation point. Your hope for something moves to a faith in something. And this is what the writer says is the simple, the easy, the only definition for us of what faith is. It's an assurance and a confidence that something we hope for is going to happen. Now, if I was the writer right now of the book of Hebrews, I, I, the, the next verse would be, so this is what it means. The writer doesn't do that, though, for us. What this pastor does is actually give us an entire chapter of story after story after story, example after example after example of what that means practically in a person's life. And I want to tell you, this is an incredibly encouraging passage of Scripture. It's been referred to of the, as, as the heroes of faith, the heroes hall of fame, um, the faith hall of fame. I think a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John called it like the Mount Rushmore of faith. And I really just think that was him looking forward to being on his motorcycle and all the things he was going to see. But yes, it's, it's all of these examples of what living out faith looks like. And we don't have time to go through the stories because there's literally like 
two dozen stories, but I want to give you a little piece of homework. I want this week for you to read uh, Hebrews chapter number 11 and just really see example after example of what it means to live out faith. But I do want to walk you through one of them to kind of show you what it means for you and for I. So I want to simply ask, and this is audience participation time, like who here has heard of Abraham? I want you to raise your hand. Who has heard of Abraham from the Bible, whether you're in this room, whether you're at one of our campuses or online, throw a big A in the chat so we know, yeah, most hands are up. You've heard of Abraham. Great. The writer of the book of Hebrews brings up Abraham as a great example of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, this is what they say. It was by faith, it's by that assurance and that confidence and a hope that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. So why did Abraham leave? God spoke to Abraham and said, hey, let's pick up your stuff. I'm going to give you this really cool place. This is where you need to be. Go and leave. Why, why did Abraham leave? Abraham picked up and left because Abraham had a confidence and had an assurance in the promises that God had given him. Why? Because God over and over and over again in the life of Abraham and in his parents and then all the people before him, God over and over and over again came through on those promises. He did what he said he was going to do. You see, simply put, Abraham believed God's promises and acted on God's promises. Let me show you how that worked out. Genesis chapter number 12, verse 2. These are some of the promises that God gave Abraham. He said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So let me ask you, did Abraham become a great nation? It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. Yes, if you don't know the story of Abraham, God came to him. He was about 75 years old, didn't have any kids, and said, hey, not only am I going to bless you with a child, this child will become a great nation. Through you, an entire nation will be born, and they will be a nation of kings and of priests. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Hebrews. And guess what? It happened. God said, I'm going to bless you, and obviously he did. He gave him that child. He blessed him financially. He gave him so many things. If you read the story throughout Genesis, he was wildly blessed. Here's our next promise, and I'm going to make you famous, which seems like a weird promise from God, but again, this is God proving himself over and over and over again to Abraham. Like, like Abraham hasn't been around for 4,000 to 6,000 years. That's just an estimate. But I asked you, how many of you have heard of Abraham? And most people that I could see raised their hand. Man, I, I would call that pretty famous. You've been dead for 6,000 years, and everyone still knows your name. Which leads us to this last little promise, the, the one that I don't have underlined right now. And it says, you will be a blessing to others. And God further clarifies this in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 when he says this, and all of the families on earth will be blessed through you. Depending on your translation of the Bible that you read, this is a New Living translation, some say families, some say all the peoples, some say all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And what is this? This, this is a huge promise 
not just to Abraham, but to all of the people, to you and to me. He's ultimately actually reminding Abraham of a promise that started way back in Genesis, back with Adam and Eve when sin entered the world, when they messed up and God said, yeah, I'm going to make that right. God's now coming to Abraham and saying, man, through you, through the family I give you, through the nation that you're going to become, through your lineage, through your line, I am going to bless the entire earth. Now, this was radical at the time. Like, nations did not bless other nations. Like, this is not what they did. They had maybe tense allies where they say, I'm not going to attack you right now. And then they also had people that they are going to attack and take things from. Like, that's, that's it. That is how it worked out at that time. And so this was a radical idea. But Abraham knew that this was so important. And he lived his life. And he centered his life. And he took action because he knew this promise would eventually come through. Now, spoiler alert. What was God talking about to Abraham? Jesus. <laughs> I know that's the easy answer, but it's the right one. Jesus. And in fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews shows us not just in Abraham's life how he was looking forward to this promise, so that's why he picked up and he followed God. He did this in faith because of all the other promises that God had come through on. He shows us in story after story and he talks about Noah, and he talks about Moses, and he talks about Gideon, and he gives us about two dozen examples of what it means to have this confidence and this assurance of this hope, of the promises that God has given us. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, this is, this is what the writer said. He says, all of these people, referring back to these two dozen some odd uh, uh, writings, said all of these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. And they, this is important, they knew it was coming. And they knew it actually might not be in their lifetime, but they knew God would come through. And they welcomed it. They saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. I mean, this is, this is huge. All of these people were living by faith when they died that this incredible huge global promise that God had given us not just not just to Abraham not just to Adam and Eve but to the whole world was going to come through but what is also incredible is when you read all of these stories when you look at all of these examples and you see how they acted and something something big jumps out in none of these stories did any of them try through faith to manipulate God, to twist his arm, to make it happen on their time frame. No, no, no. They trusted and knew and believed that God was God and that he was to be worshipped and trusted. They didn't treat faith like it was this magic spell. And what's even more incredible than this is, to me, is I, I was actually reading a couple weeks ago in the book of John. And, you know, I kind of grew up on this idea that faith is this blind leap into things. And faith was this formula. And faith was, 
this magic spell, and if I had enough of it, God would do what I wanted to. And I'm, I'm reading in John uh, uh, Jesus interacting with his disciples. And, and, and in this part of the story, uh, Jesus is kind of telling them who he is, that he is God who has stepped out of heaven, that, that when they look at him, they are seeing God, and that uh, eventually he is going to be a sacrifice and lay his life down for them, and that he will go up into heaven and prepare a place for them. And you know what happens? The disciples don't look at him and go, Sounds awesome. I believe you. John 14 says that the disciples look at Jesus and we're like, man, I don't know. That's kind of hard to believe. Jesus doesn't in that moment go, cool, have some blind faith in me. No, what Jesus says is, well, that's fine. Then if you can't believe my words, then believe the work. Believe the miracles. Believe the evidence that I'm showing you. And this is wildly different than how I was raised. And I was raised that, man, you don't want to be doubting Thomas. You don't want to, you don't want to lack faith because you'll never be able to find God. You'll never be able to see Jesus. Have you, have you read the story of doubting Thomas at the very, very end of that? Not Jesus died. He rose again. Most of the disciples had seen him. They come and they're even telling Thomas, hey, Thomas, Jesus has risen again. Thomas goes, I'm not, I'm not going to believe it until I see the marks in his hands and in his feet. It says that that night, Jesus appeared to Thomas. Showed him his hands and his feet. And he says this very famous line. He says, blessed are those who can believe who have not seen. That's great. But you know what Jesus didn't do? He never condemned Thomas. He never said, oh, you probably should have had blind faith, but it's okay, I, I appeared to you. No, no, he didn't do that. Sure, be great if you could have blind faith, but Jesus didn't. He showed Thomas the evidence. He never actually calls him doubting Thomas. We call him that. You see, faith was never thought of in the past as this manipulation, this way that we could manipulate and, and, and get God to do what we want. Faith was never really talked about in the Bible as this blind leap and this way to access God. And then we were all taught that this faith is this spooky, weird, mystical thing that we've got to figure out. I don't think we like that definition of faith. Because right, if faith is spooky and if faith is this formula and faith is this way I can move the hand of God, then it leaves us in control. But if if faith is in the hands of God, like he's got the control. Most of us want God to do our bidding through faith, and yet and we, we know and we get that things don't always work out like we pray. Like we were told that if we were good enough and if we prayed hard enough, if we had enough faith, God would do all of the things that we want and that we desire. And it just doesn't work out like that. In fact, because of that, like I said earlier, it begins obscuring our understanding of faith. And we begin giving up and saying things like faith doesn't work. And if faith is the way that I'm supposed to see, know, and access God, then God must not be real. He must not be true. I'm going to walk away. 
In fact, I believe that we have generations of people, not, not a generation. This isn't a young versus old thing. This isn't millennial versus boomers. Like, I believe we have generations of people abandoning what they know as their faith because the church has signed God's names to promises he never made. Like good, well-meaning pastors trying to teach on this idea of faith and making promises for God that he never made, and now suddenly we are holding God accountable to the things he never said he would do. It's that vending machine faith that many of us were taught. If I put enough quarters in, press the right buttons, if I, if I sacrifice enough and, and I read the Bible that I'm going to get out of it exactly what I want. But, but that's not the definition of faith. It's not what the writer of Hebrews calls it. It's not what Jesus gives us as this idea of faith. It's not what God calls us to anywhere in the Scripture. But I have some incredible news for us. That if this is supposed to be the way that we see God, and it's broken and it's obscured, God actually made a better way for us. In fact, The Bible would say that God did not demonstrate his love for you by promising a flawless faith. Like God did not demonstrate his love for you by promising that nothing bad would happen or every illness would be healed. God did not promise, he did not demonstrate his love for you by promising a perfect book that you could open up and find the the answers to every one of life's problems. No, no, no. It's not how God demonstrated his love for us. In fact, we're told by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who grew up hating Christians, whose version of faith was so broken, so obscured, he was looking forward to that global promise that God had made, and he almost missed Jesus because of his broken faith. A broken faith that was so messed up, he actively participated in the murder of Christians before he understood who Jesus was. And in fact, his understanding of Jesus didn't come through this lens, this window of this busted faith. It came through an interaction with Jesus. Jesus literally appeared to him on a road, knocked him off of his, we're going to say donkey, and onto his, we're going to say butt, Like, it's this picture of Jesus literally pushing him off of this donkey, blinding him, appearing to him, and saying, yeah, now now you're going to follow me. Now I'm showing you who I am because you are going to write some incredible things so that people can really understand who I am. Paul pens these incredible words in the book of Romans, chapter 5, and verse 8. He says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Some of you know this verse from a different translation, have it memorized. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying something incredible and something that I hope you really begin to understand today. 
Paul is saying it's not through this lens, it's not through this window of faith that we come to know God. What Paul is saying is that God demonstrated his love for us by coming to our side of the window. That God showed us with evidence that he loved us, that he cared for us, that he wants to give us grace, mercy, and forgiveness by stepping out of heaven, becoming a man, living the life that you and I couldn't live by dying on a cross for us. Like, he took the first step. Our first step isn't forming some sort of faith so that we can see him. No, he took the first step. When we didn't even know we wanted him, when we didn't even know we needed him, while we were still broken, messed up sinners, God took the first step and said, hey, I want you to have faith in me, so I'm giving you a confidence and an assurance. I'm showing you. God came to our side of the window. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that the ancients... He literally writes and says, the ancient ones. It's his way of saying, all of these stories are of old guys and gals who are dead. Like, they lived out of faith, believing for this promise, this ultimate global promise that God had. They looked forward and they welcomed it. They didn't try to manipulate God into anything but they acted like he was a God who was to be worshipped and trusted. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is also telling us that now we get to look back and see how God has given us an incredible assurance, an incredible confidence. That is where our faith should come from. They finish it up by saying this in Hebrews chapter number 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. The writer is literally saying, hey, I just gave you two dozen stories that witness to what a life of faith is supposed to look like. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. So, so what are we supposed to do? And hopefully we start letting go of these things that are slowing us down and seeing and knowing and accessing God. Like, he's saying like, yes, I know your faith is broken and busted and messed up, but let's, let's let it go. But not only that, not just these things that are slowing us down, but especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Hey, if God is real, if God has given you this evidence that you can have confidence and faith in him, then, then maybe we should start putting aside the things that he's telling us not to do and Start doing the things that he's asking us to do. And what does that look like? And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This is a very poetic way that the writer is saying, hey, God has a plan for you and for me. He's given us this incredible plan for our lives. So let's run after it with confidence. Let's not be scared and timid around the idea of who Jesus is and what he is and who he's called us to be. We should have a confidence with it. He says it like this, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. And this is such a huge part. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. 
our beginning to know and understand Jesus doesn't start with us generating faith. The writer literally says, "Is Jesus is the one. God is the one who begins giving us faith. Why? Because he demonstrates, he shows us, he gives us a confidence, he gives us an assurance, he gives us evidence of who he is, his love for us, what he wants from us. He is the one who starts it. But guess what? He also is the one who perfects it. So if if you're coming today and your faith looks like this and it's broken and it's messed up and it's not right and it's fuzzy and it's opaque, that's all right. Keep your eyes locked on Jesus because he wants to help fix this. The good news, the gospel, the story that Hebrews is trying to tell these people several thousand years ago and the story that God has been telling us from the beginning of time is that he came to our side of the window. And that faith is a result of us following and listening to Jesus. And so what does that mean? It means that there's a bunch of different people that I, I hope really begin to understand how much Jesus loves them had a lot of conversations over the last couple years with people who have they've given up on their faith they've, they've walked out the door and said I'm never coming back to church again the heartbreaking part is most of these conversations are, are people who say like hey the church broke me, the church did something to me this pastor or this faith or this thing man it it was terrible and it was crushing and I can't, I don't like the church and I don't like those who claim to follow Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And so here, if that's you, maybe you happen to just be joining us online or you pick this up on YouTube later or something. If that's you and you've given up on faith, listen, my answer for you is not come back to the church. No, no, my answer for you is I hope and I pray that you keep your eyes locked on Jesus. Because one day I firmly believe he's going to help you perfect this. Some of you in this room I've had conversations with and you've told me that you are on the precipice of walking away. And I, I hope you see and get and understand that that faith in Jesus, it's not about all of this junk. It's about us seeing that he first gave his life for us. And that if we lock our eyes on him, and if we trust him, and he has our best intentions at heart, he's going to do the right thing for us He is going to help us work on our faith and our entire job in that is just to live a life that trusts him and trusts that he is God. And if you're in this room and you're a Christ follower, you've been following Jesus faithfully for all of your life and you still are to this day, man, that's incredible. But I hope you also let Jesus work on your understanding of faith so that we 
Don't obscure it for all of those who have still yet to say yes to him, who have still yet to cross that line of faith that we talk about a lot of times here in church. We have a clear understanding of it and it pushes us to action. Every single one of those examples in Hebrews chapter 11, people are pushed to action. And so today, for us to, to, to close up, I, I want to do something very, very simple. I want us to take a moment of reflection and then a moment of prayer. And so here's how we're going to do this at every campus. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And then I'm going to give you 15 to 20 seconds to reflect. And then a pastor at your campus is going to come up and lead you through the next part of this. But I need something from everybody here. Now, I know that when Pastor John finishes, that most people think, oh, church is over, and get up and walk out. I know that because I'm the guy that comes up after John every week at this campus, and I can see the mass exodus. Yes, I can see you walk out before we're done. Not bitter, but what I am going to ask you, some of you are like, yeah, right. (laughs) What I am going to ask you is today that you give us just a couple minutes, that you spend time in a little bit of a reflection, and you let that pastor lead you through a moment of prayer. So would you bow your heads, would you close your eyes, and would you take 15 to 20 seconds in reflecting on what it means to have this clear image of faith once again. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.